Hello, ACB. This is Deb Cook-Lewis. After serving you for five years on the Board of Publications, I am now hoping to serve you as your first vice president. No matter who you vote for, I hope you vote. And we'll see you at the convention. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, good afternoon, everybody. Um, My name is Dr. Jesse Rail, and um, we are going to talk about a topic that is often not talked about, especially in the blind community, for whatever reason. And it's a very difficult, very painful, but very much needed topic. And that is um, abuse and violence. And what I hope to do is um, dispel some of the myths that go around about abuse and violence and encourage people about how we can all be more supportive of each other and how we can heal from our own abusive experiences. I have worked over 30 years in the mental health field, and much of my work has been with trauma survivors, Um, many of them children who were abused and people in domestic violence situations, people in criminal situations where they were robbed or um, raped attempted murder. Um, I've also worked with perpetrators of abuse um, because I worked for about 15, 20 years with Department of Corrections and probation. So I kind of worked on both sides of the fence simultaneously. I didn't do one and then switch to the other one. Um, And so it, it was an interesting experience and oftentimes an emotionally difficult one because I would work with a person on parole and then following that, um, a person who had been a victim of abuse would enter the office. And so it was, it was a challenge to keep them from, you know, crossing the same paths. It was an emotional experience going from, you know, um, anger or other emotions working with the, the perpetrator to her um, and horror working with the, the victim, deep, deep compassion. To prepare me for that, I um, am a certified forensics mental health evaluator. And I also went through six years of my own therapy because I was a child, uh, a victim of, of childhood abuse at the residential school, most of which many people don't know, and even my family really doesn't know the extent of. So anyway, that kind of gives you a background, and I felt that it was necessary to give a background because of the topic that we're talking about. So what is abuse? Abuse causes physical, emotional, or sexual harm to the victim. Abuse is, in- is intentional. You can't be abused and, and without some intent. And the intent is all about control. Many people think that people abuse because they're angry. And they might be angry, 
but it is an attempt to control, to humiliate the victim. That's always what it's about. Neglect is another term that we often hear in relationship to abuse. And neglect is it's a form of abuse, but less serious. Um, neglect is often unintentional. People don't really mean to be neglectful. They're, they're behaving because uh, they don't, didn't really realize the consequences of the neg- neglect. Um, it may cause physical, sexual, or emotional harm, um, but it always causes emotional stress. Neglect can usually be changed. People can realize that, you know, you, you've been neglectful of your children or neglectful of your spouse. And once you realize that, then it's like, oh, these are ways that I can change that. Abusers will change only if there's another gain for them. You know, people who neglect, there's a lot of hope for. People who abuse, there's not a lot of hope for, even with prison and incarceration. Doesn't mean that they can't change. It means that it's not likely. Abusers have a certain cycle that they go through. And the first thing that they do is is groom their victim. They, you know, create the stage. They they gain trust of their victim or they gain a dependency from that victim. And then they'll do something. They'll do something mean to the victim. You know, they'll slap them or they'll force sex on them or something. Um, or, or they'll be very verbally abusive. And when they feel like they've gone too far, and then they shouldn't push it any further, then they'll be really nice offering gifts or offering a lot of care, a lot of support, whatever they feel like they have to do to gain the victim back again. Then, without warning, they'll do something mean to the victim again. Um, as the cycle continues, it progresses in frequency. So the more often, you know, the longer you're with the abuser, the more often you're going to be abused. It might start out that you're abused once a year or once every couple of years. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's every couple, every six months or once a year. And then it's every three months. And then it's every month. And then it's every week. And then it's every day um, until something stops the abuse. But there's always that cycle. When we talk about abuse, we think of abuse in physical, I mean, aggression. And there are two types of aggression. Or we think of aggression as physical abuse. Or we think of aggression in terms of sexual abuse. And then we have emotional um, and psychological. Emotional and psychological are the same thing, um, but those are abuse. The aggression is, is pretty easy to understand. That's when somebody, you know, hurts somebody, when somebody rapes somebody, when somebody slaps somebody, when somebody kicks or punches somebody, um, or, you know, anything that causes harm. And again, It is intentional. It is not because you're angry or because the person did anything. 
It is an intentional effort to control the person. Passive aggressive behavior is a lot more difficult to understand, but it's more common. And many people find themselves in situations where they are being in passive aggressive situations. So passive aggression is the person is unable to express their feelings of anger or their feelings of frustration or their feelings of jealousy. And they have these strong feelings. It probably is directed to you, but it may be about somebody else and they're taking it out on you. And these people will be disagreeable or irritable more often than not. They're just never content. They're always complaining or irritable about something. And they'll tell you, I'm in a bad mood. Next day, I'm in a bad mood. A couple days later, I'm in a bad mood. And they never seem to know why. They're just in a bad mood. Because, again, they can't express their feelings. Um, They frequently criticize or protest. You know, they, they criticize people. And sometimes their criticism is indirect. They don't criticize you to your face, but... You know, they they talk about you to other people or criticize you to other people. Um, They tend to procrastinate or being forgetful about things that are important. And this is not a person who tends to procrastinate and, and work, you know, better at deadlines. This is a person who knows that your anniversary or that your birthday is tomorrow. And they have done absolutely nothing to prepare for it. And the next day, your birthday comes and goes. And the day after, they're like, oh, I forgot your birthday. It was, it was, when was it? Yesterday? That's the type of of procrastination. It is harmful, hurtful procrastination. It's not just, you know, people who (laughs) tend to wait till the last minute to, to do things. These people also claim a lot of forgetfulness. They claim they can't remember what they told you or what they talked about. And again, we're not talking about people who do have cognition problems. We're talking about people who have no problem whatsoever remembering anything else. But they can't remember talking to you about important things in you know, your, your life or at work or whatever. Um, so they constantly claim forgetfulness. They constantly tell you how busy they are, which is why they didn't remember your birthday or they didn't remember to complete a really important assignment uh, for your organization. And now your organization, you know, is having problems because they didn't do what they needed to do. They often perform tasks inefficiently. Again, they know very well how to do the task. But if they can do something to make you look bad, they will. Or if they can do something to sabotage your committee, they will. Just because they're passive aggressive. They typically act hostile or cynical. Um, they dismiss people, your, your feelings. When you talk about something, you might get a response of, cool or nice or wow. But... 
they don't say anything at all. They don't ask questions. They don't ask, you know, how how you enjoyed the experience. They don't ask nothing. They just kind of make those those inane statements, and and that's what they do. And they just dismiss your feelings. Um, they don't support things that you are that that you're doing or that that are important to you. And if they do, it's, you know, they'll tell you what a wonderful presenter you are or how good you are at uh, ACB president or something, but they don't do that publicly. They do it to your, your face to keep you kind of hanging on, but they don't do it publicly. They don't attend your events or your special occasions, even if they could. Well, again, we're not talking about somebody who lives all the way in California and you're in New York. We're talking about somebody who lives right in the same town that you do or the same neighborhood or whatever. And, and never do they attend your important events. Parents sometimes do that to their children. They don't attend their sports games, which are, of course, important to the kids. Or they don't in, uh, attend music performances, and they have a hundred excuses. They're too busy, or they're too sick, or you know whatever. But the reality of it is, they just don't. These people are also very resistant. If and and you might see this especially in committees or in your relationships. If you want to do something, you know they come up with all kind of reasons and excuses and and other things why that shouldn't happen. Or if you special dinner planned, you know, they'll waltz in about two hours late. <laughs> you know, anything again to sabotage what you're trying to do or minimize how important you are. They blame others or circumstances. They are the top at, at blame. Well, abusers are really good at blame too. But people who are passive-aggressive, they, they can come up with anything. Their email program doesn't work, so therefore you know, their, their phone doesn't work. Uh, they don't know how to use the phone. All kind of excuses. The weather was too bad. They constantly do these things, and then they'll complain about being unappreciated, especially if you say anything to them. Well, I do all of this, and I work so hard, and nobody appreciates me. They'll do things or say things that are knowingly hurtful. They'll not invite you places. And they could, but they don't. Or they don't include you when you do get there. And again, we're not talking about things that you obviously couldn't do, but we're talking about, you know, they'll, they'll drive right past your house, and they know that you want to go to church, but you're not. They, they don't have time to pick you up and take you to church. Things like that. They constantly bring up hurtful things about you or other people. They express their feelings from another point of view. In other words, instead of saying, I'm really upset with you right now, they might say, well, you know, nobody really likes you on this committee. What they really mean is, I don't like you. I'm upset with you. But they imply to you that you know, nobody likes you on the committee because they know that's going to hurt your feelings and you're going to start feeling bad and, and, and wondering why people don't like you. You know, that causes all kinds of things. 
So that's what a passive-aggressive person is. And unfortunately, women are more often passive-aggressive people. Not always. Men can be, too. And we're starting to even the scales with that. It used to be that men were more abusive um, physically and sexually. But that's not so true anymore, either. Women are catching up very quickly. There are a lot of myths about abuse. We're going to quickly go through the people who were abused as children will go up to be abusers. And that's not true. Many people were abused as children, and they do not abuse. In fact, many times they are so far the other way that they're afraid to punish their, or discipline their children or their animals because they don't know the difference in discipline and abuse, and so they have to learn that. Predictors of abuse basically include family history of violence, sexual abuse by a female, not a male, maternal neglect, and lack of supervision. Those are the factors that tend to predict abuse. So when you hear on the news that such and such, you know, committed such a crime and the next thing that they say is, oh, well, she was sexually abused, or he was sexually abused, or he was physically abused. You know, they, they like to bring that in. But that's not necessarily a predictor of, of the abuse or of an abuser. Um, people who were abused as children are more likely to abuse others, and that is not true. They are more likely to be abused as adults. People who were abused as children typically find themselves in at least one domestic violence abusive situation, and many times more, um, because the abuse continues throughout their lives. You can change the abuser. No, you can't change the abuser. The abuser has to want to change, and they have to work very hard at it, because one thing they have to get in touch with is they do not have the right to control another person because they believe that they do have the right to control another person. So they have to let that go completely and realize that even if my wife does something I don't like, I don't have the right to control her. Or even if my child does something I don't like, I don't have the right to control him. Or her. And that's a hard belief to let go. Many people believe that domestic violence is not a really serious problem. It's an extremely serious problem. And it happens between men to women, women to men, men to men, and women to women. And just about any other combination that you can come up with. It's an extremely serious problem. And it's one of the most common crimes that are committed, and it's also the most underreported. Domestic violence is often believed to only occur between people who are married or people who are living together. That's not true. There are a lot of instances where teenagers are in very domestically violent relationships with their partners who they are dating, or college kids. It's pretty common to have these things occur or um, siblings. Um, we're not talking about general sibling rivalry and that type of thing. We're talking about 
outright abuse or violence. You know, the, the sibling does very harmful, hurtful things repeatedly to the other sibling. Um, many people believe that domestic violence or abuse only happens in poor families, and that's not true. It pervades all sociocultures, socioeconomic, it pervades all cultures. So it's not just relegated to poor people or people who are African-American or, you know, any anything like that. Many people think that people who abuse are mentally ill. Most of them are not. They have an internal need for power and a belief that they have the right to control somebody else, but they're not mentally ill. Now, people can sometimes become more violent when they are in the throes of a manic episode or when they are using drugs and alcohol. But that does not cause the abuse. The abuse is caused by that internal belief system. And that's why it's so hard to change it. Many people believe that, you know, it, it, domestic violence is a family matter and therefore it's nobody else's business. It's everybody's business because it impacts everybody. It's a criminal offense. It has implications for everyone, um, friends, children, because if you try to get involved, you could be the next victim of the domestic violence. And sometimes what will happen is if you try to get involved, it isn't the abuser that abuses you. It's the person who is being abused who starts abusing you. So it has tremendous implications for everybody. It's a huge community expense, and it's a huge risk to law enforcement and expense for law enforcement. Many people believe that people who are victims of crime or domestic violence or children of abuse ask for it or they want it. Um, or they provoke it, or maybe even they deserve it. And that is absolutely not true. And if you take anything out of here, please take the idea and, and the knowledge that the abused person never, ever, ever asks for or deserves the abuse. They don't provoke it. It is the abuser's responsibility, not other people. You know, I often told my sex offenders that I don't care if a young girl undresses and lands spread eagle in his lap. His response is to set her on the floor and walk away, not to take advantage of any sexual behavior. Many people think that abuse is caused by alcohol or drugs, mental illness, and we talked about that before. Many people think that it's a one-time incident. That's not true. Maybe an inappropriate expression of anger is a one-time incident. The person realizes, oh my goodness, you know, that was not okay. Um, but abuse will continue. It has continued. So if you meet somebody and you meet this person's ex-wife, and they tell you that, you know, the person was really abusive of them, might want to clear away from that person because there's a good probability you'll be next in line. The uh, offenses will be repetitive and they will usually escalate. We also think that 
you know, if it were that bad, the person would leave the situation. Leaving is not always possible, and it's never easy. There's a lot that goes into whether you can leave an abuser. Remember, their goal is to keep you with them. So whatever you try to do, they will try to figure it out. And if they do, they'll try to prevent you from leaving. So it can be really difficult for people to leave. And many times they decide that it's easier just to stay than it is to leave, which is really sad. Abuse is very common in the lesbian and gay community. It's just as common there as it is in the heterosexual community. People think, again, that abuse is is because people are angry. It's not. It's a method of control. People often say that people, especially women who were raped, deserve it because You know, she was out late by herself, or she was wearing provocative clothing. I saw a post on Facebook not too long ago about that very subject. People, again, who are sexual offenders, they don't care what you look like. They don't care what, you know, how late you're out. The only thing that they care about is that for some reason, you become an easy target. Sometimes, if you don't have as many clothes on, they're attracted to that because it's easier to get your clothes off. Not because that you don't have clothes or because you're wearing a bathing suit. It's just easier to rip it off. If you're out late, chances are you're by yourself. You're not around a lot of other people. So that's what the lateness has. If there's any resemblance to looks at all, sometimes these perpetrators will, will prey on people who resemble people that they know or people who abused them in the past. So whether you're a beautiful, tiny body model, or whether you're heavy, overweight, or whatever, you know, that it's not going to change whether somebody will abuse you or attack you. Now, obviously, if you are like my friend who works for the FBI, she's got a perfect figure, but she's black belt karate you know if they go after her they might say whoa she's little she's got this you know but they'll find out that that's probably not the best idea because she knows self-defense people with disabilities are abused at a much higher rate compared to people who don't have disabilities and it's often because we can't identify the abuser We might be dependent on the abuser for various things. We're easier targets, or we're assumed to be easier targets. And so it's as high as 80% compared to average person without a disability. That's pretty high. So how do you deal with this? How you deal with aggression is the first time it happens, recognize it and get away from the situation as quickly as you can. If you have to call law enforcement, and you may very well. If you have to call a shelter, and you may very well. If you have to go stay with a friend, you know, whatever you can do, get away. Because it's not going to get better. It's only going to get worse. And when you do that, cut off as much contact as at all possible. Even if you have children, you know, make your attorneys 
have contact and it may be tempting to answer that phone or respond to the text or send an email. Don't do it. Break off of contact and make them communicate if they have to through another channel, not through you. And you probably will need help from law enforcement or, you know, the community shelters, whatever, to, to really get away, especially if it's been going on for a long period of time. To deal with passive aggression, you, know, you don't really have to leave that relationship, but it is important to set boundaries. It's important to be assertive. Make your expectations clear. Be factual, not emotional. And be clear and level-headed about it because they're not going to be. They're going to start the emotional pleas and the emotional clinging. Um, So you're going to have to set your boundaries, be very clear about your expectations, and be calm and level-headed because they're not going to be. They can't be. There is a health line. And it's a domestic violence hotline, but they will direct you to community resources or whoever you need to contact, and uh, including child abuse. They'll offer more uh, suggestions. They know what's available in your community. It's 800-799-7233. So what do you do if you know somebody is in one of these herbal relationships. Uh, First of all, make time for them. Listen to them. Allow them to talk. Because you may think, oh, well, we've heard it, we've heard it, we've heard it. Well, they may need to talk about this until all of a sudden they get the the wherewithal to do something to leave, to to set their boundaries, to whatever. It's okay to start a conversation. You know, I'm really concerned about you. You seem to, whatever. It's perfectly okay. I'm wondering if you are in an abusive relationship. The worst they're going to do is, how dare you accuse him of that? You know, it's only because I'm concerned and, and because I notice these things. If that's not the case, that's awesome. And then you can move ahead. Let the person know that what they tell you, you're going to be discreet about that. They may have never told anybody before that they're in this type of relationship. And they may not want the world to know, but they may be practicing for what will it be like if I call it police? What will it be like if I go to the women's shelter? What will it be like if I tell my doctor or the nurse or the counselor? So once they get the nerve up and get used to saying it, even admit it, it may be a big sense of relief. And you may be that person. Be supportive, not judgmental. Allow them to act in their own time, even if you think that they need to do something right now. You know, allow them to act in their own time. Provide local resources or um, contacts. Give them the number to the women's shelter or the emergency police station. Everybody knows 911, but maybe they need a more direct resource. Maybe they need a more direct number. So take it on yourself to find out what is in the community. Um, Give them 
the name of a, a minister that you've talked to or maybe that you know who is particularly supportive or helpful. Give them some resources because you never know when they may say, oh, I'm going to make that call. The warning signs are the physical warning signs are, are pretty obvious. Um, unexplained incidents or injuries resulting in bruising, especially around the face, the neck, the arms, busted lips, sprained wrist, sprained elbows, things like that. And it's because they're they're hit or they're punched or, you know, whatever. Emotional, low self-esteem, they're overly apologetic or needy, their changes in their eating or sleeping, they rush to please the other abuser. You might be talking to them on the phone, and all of a sudden, without any warning, oh, he's home. I've got to go. I've, I've got to get off of here. Or, oh, he wants me to do something. I, I'll talk to you later. Something like that. It doesn't matter if they're in the, you know, middle of a good conversation. You know, it's, oh, I've got to go now. He's home, or something. They are usually anxious or on edge, and especially around the other person. Um, they might use substances, drugs or alcohol. Uh, they usually will have depression. Um, and they may talk about suicide or being better off dead. They tend to withdraw or become distant from their you know, from, from their family, friends. They may isolate from family and friends because they don't want people to know what's going on. There usually is a lot of cancellation of meetings or appointments. Most of my clients who were in domestic violence would cancel their appointments at the last minute. And it was because he found out, and nope, you're not going to therapy. You're not going to talk to that blind therapist. You're not going to talk to anybody. Um, they may have excessive privacy concerning their personal lives. They won't tell you anything. I mean, nothing, you know, because they don't want you to know what's going on in their life and they don't want the abuser to find out that you shared what was going on in that person's life. You can't force another adult to get help, no matter how much you want to. can't force them to leave the situation. What you can do, if you know a person who is elderly or has a disability, especially when that person is, is not competent to make their own decisions, or a child, you can call Department of Human Services and report the abuse. The most important thing that you can say is, I believe you, it's not your fault, and you don't deserve it. Lastly, there's a whole controversial issue, and, and we've heard it on the media about people who make up being abused. Nine times out of ten, people don't make up being abused. Nine times out of ten, people don't report being abused. But sometimes, children especially, will will say that they were abused. And this is always because something else is going on. Sometimes they're angry because their parents aren't paying attention. And they hear about another child who suddenly received a lot of attention 
um, you know, a lot of intervention because they were being abused. So they think, hmm, I could do that. Sometimes it's because they don't realize the seriousness of their allegations. They don't know what will happen to the person. They just think that whatever happened that they want to happen is going to be made right. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes it's because they want to get back at somebody for doing something, especially in situations of step-parents. You know, they, they want to get back at their mother for bringing this, this guy into their life, or they want to get back at the step-parent for trying to take over the role of the other parent. So sometimes that happens. Sometimes they're trying to protect another parent or sibling. So they know that this other person is being abused and is not doing anything about it. And they'll say that they're being abused so that that person will be removed from the home. Sometimes it's a misunderstanding. They really don't know what is going on. So the scenario will be, um, well, I had a little girl and her, her stepfather and mother were treating her for a severe yeast infection. And she told another person, another adult. And instead of understanding that she was being treated for an infection, this adult started, oh, he's sexually abusing you, you know. And so she she came up with that story because that's what she had been told. Sometimes in divorce situations, one parent is either telling or encouraging the child. But typically the thing to remember is it is safer to believe a child or an adult who says they're being abused than not believe them because the likelihood that they're making it up is not real real high and if they are there is always something else going on so i know this is a difficult difficult conversation and i appreciate your listening just know that i believe you You don't deserve it, and it's not your fault. Whatever happened in the past or is happening now, just or may happen in the future, heaven forbid, just know that it's not your fault, and you didn't deserve it. So does anybody have any questions or comments? Uh, Please don't go into a, a major story here because, you know, we are on air, but... If you have any questions or comments or especially something that helped you heal, go ahead and share. Hi, Jesse, the Dr. Rail. This is Mark Tardiff. A couple of things I would say. I I worked um, as a um, phone advocate, volunteer phone advocate for the Cleveland, Ohio Rape Crisis Center for a couple of several years. Um, So I I, um, know what you're talking about. I do remember at one point, Somebody in an age in a federal agency where I worked um, was accusing a teammate, a male teammate, of you know sexual harassment. And um, what I could not believe was that our lead on our team basically said, "Oh, she's got to be making it up because she certainly doesn't look terribly good." And I'm thinking, "You're a lead, and you're that ignorant, you know? Um, I mean, for shame, you know." Um, and the other thing I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, okay, and at the risk of sounding xenophobic, 
it does seem that there are certain religious groups and certain cultures where what we would think of as abuse is considered perfectly normal, where it's normal to have certain people who are considered subordinate. I'm not saying that makes it okay, but how do you deal with that, with that kind of cultural issue and, or even religious issue? And I'll just, you know, leave it to, you know, I'll just um, kind of well, you're, you're very right. Um, in, in certain cultures and certain religions, um, certain behaviors are deemed to be okay. And basically, if the other people in that culture or religion are also okay with it, there's not a whole lot you can do to change it or to intervene unless actual harm is being done. You know, actual physical or sexual harm mm-hmm. is, is occurring. Um, so sometimes we just kind of have to accept that in that culture or that family, it may be okay. I mean, that can be a really difficult, <laughs> a difficult one. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Sherry, you want to unmute, please? I just, I don't know. I don't always get to listen every week, but you, you are incredible and you present so much wonderful information and I really appreciate it. But, I want to tell you, passive, passive aggressive people, that kind of ongoing behavior can, I don't, can be as bad or, or worse than, I think, in a way than physical abuse, because it just goes on and on and on. And I was um, married to someone like that. And then you described all these passive aggressive behaviors. And I'm like, that was him. That was him. That was him. So it's amazing how how that happens and um it, they're also i appreciate your suggestions about how to deal with them but sometimes they're so into themselves they don't even listen to what you want to say even if you try to put it in plain english and be really clear and that's part it, of their passive aggressiveness yeah because if they can pretend that they don't understand you or don't hear you yes that's just it, another it way yeah, without going into this situation, it got to the point with me where I just stopped talking to the person. And that's I mean, pretty much about, all you can do. Sometimes, you know. I mean, but we were married, yeah. and I wasn't telling him how I felt about anything because I never felt like I got it. He listened. So right. it got really bad. We're not together anymore, of course, because yeah. other things happened that brought it to a head. And passive-aggressive people don't always escalate into violence. Um, he, he never did. But I think he had a temper that he kept tried to keep under control because I saw examples that I thought, you know, could maybe head that way. So, yeah, and he was so good at being passive aggressive, he didn't have to resort to physical sexual aggression. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then what are the be- beginnings like? Um, I've also met people who are totally out of touch with how another person might feel about something like they'll make some decision and, and you'll say, how, how could you decide that? Cause it's so inconsiderate. And I think maybe that's the beginning of like, I would go out of town and come back to be picked up at the airport and have to take, you know, paratransit cause, Oh, well I'm working. So I can't do, I can't do it. And I'd have been gone for weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it was just strange, but 
But my, my question, I guess my question is, how does it start out? Like, can it start out with just someone being totally inconsiderate of what you, what you want or, you know, not even being able to put themselves in your place at all and say, this is how somebody might feel if I do this. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, they are very self-centered. They don't think about other people's feelings. They have very little ability to relate to other people's feelings. Or they're just angry. And this is the way to get you back for having gone out of town. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I'm angry because she went out of town, but I can't say that. But I can make her miserable when she gets back. Yeah, he never could tell me what all was wrong with me. You know, some people will just come out and say, I don't like this. I don't like that. He never said it. He always put it in some other weird terms or or talked around it all the time. And I'd say, you sound like you have a list. You need to just come clean with it. And he never, ever did. Because they can't really express their feelings. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for this. It it was very, very interesting, and I appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome. Area code 505, ending in 638. You may unmute. Hello, Jesse. Hi there. When there's a family situation involved, like, with several cousins and stuff like that, and um, people have told the boy's parents, but they don't do anything about it, you know, and several cousins and nieces and all that stuff were involved. What what can be done about a situation like that? And, and, and it's not like they don't know what's going on right under their roof. What is the boy doing? And it can even involve generations of... You know, that same person could even involve, like, the second generation of people. You know what I mean? Right. What, what is the boy doing? Uh, he's a man now. He yeah. He's um kind of like praying on young... When he was a uh, teenager, he was praying on young cousins, nieces, and now it would be, like, with the great nieces and stuff. But his mom knew. She had to know. Well, yeah, um, she may have known, or maybe she didn't, um, because they they can be really good at at hiding what's really going on. Um, But any time that you you suspect a child is being abused by another child or an adult, um, it's important to call Department of Human Services and let them know, and call them, and call them, and call them until they do something. Sometimes you can confront the person, but very often that doesn't work. When he got sick and people thought he was going to die, I was surprised by the the cousins and stuff my age, and they knew they went and they came to see him out of respect to to his mom and all that. But um, oh, I don't know. It was just weird. Yeah. Well, you know, his mom is not to blame. He is. He's responsible for his behavior, not his mom. So what she did or didn't do, she might be part of it. But, you know, the, the bottom line is he's responsible for his behavior. You know, like the, the thing about the certain cultures and the same, certain religions that, you know, and um, it's kind of like along those lines, but but uh, it involves family, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that's a difficult thing when it gets into religious or cultural beliefs that, you know, don't believe anything 
a myth or, or wrong. But even that, right? They live in America, and you know, we we have laws against abuse and crime. Well, um, I appreciate everybody uh, your, your time, your attention. Um, I know this is a difficult one, but next week we're going to have a happier conversation. So we're going to talk about favorite summer memories. I figured after one difficult one, we deserve a happy one. So everybody have a wonderful week. As always, you can contact me through the community, ACB community uh, with, with Cindy, or and she'll, she'll forward your email. So thank you all.